Lord Jesus. Man, it just hits me. Following communion and then singing about the hope we have that is all based on the fact that you are alive and well, that you are breathing, that you are on your throne and you are reigning, God. And as long as that is the case, and that will always be the case, we have hope. Lord, uh, this morning we have hope that you would come and meet with us. That you would speak into our hearts, into our lives. That you would help us to see things the way you see things. That you would help us to love people the way that you love people. That we would be different, not just because of this church service, not because, wow, he preached such a good message or that music was so good, but because we met with the living God today and our hope was renewed within us. So may you come today, God, and just renew our hope. I pray as you have been doing this morning, may you continue. And Lord Jesus, as always, may I decrease this morning and may you increase. May we experience your presence and the hope that comes with it. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, uh, we started a series uh, called Healthy Relationships 101. And it's just some basic principles uh, to help us grow in healthy relationships. Uh, some of those things that, man, if you're missing some of these pieces, some of these foundational principles, you're unable to have healthy relationships. The, the health of your relationships is capped if we ignore some of these basic principles. Because I believe that as followers of Jesus, we must learn to cultivate healthy relationships. It is a non-negotiable. I think the health of our relationships is meant to be our fullest expression of his kingdom on earth. All of the things that, uh, that Jesus talks about that people will know us, that they will know that he has sent us, it's all wrapped up in how we deal with one another. It's all wrapped up in how we have relationship with the world around us, that they will see his kingdom being lived out in us and that will be through our relationships. We, we spent a lot of time looking at this last week, but that when people see the kind of unity and love and joy and peace and patience and all of these things that we display amongst one another, that they will say there is something to their faith. This Jesus they talk about, there is something to it because normal people don't love each other that well. Normal people aren't as unified as they are. They will see the health of our relationships, and through it, they will see his kingdom come on this earth. One of the words that I'm going to continue to use here is the word cultivation. We talked about it a little bit last week, that we must cultivate healthy relationships. I use that word intentionally. It's like a farming term to cultivate the ground because it is not a, uh, an instantaneous thing. Just do this today and by tomorrow, all of your relationships will be healthy. But it's this idea of working the soil so that in the future, you can bear fruit. We have to do this kind of foundational work so that in the future, we can have healthier relationships. There are no quick fixes to healthy relationships. This takes time, it takes work, and I believe it takes the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that people would see his kingdom come through the health of our relationships. So what we talked about last week, we must learn to apply certain principles 
if we're going to have this healthy relationship. And the first principle we looked at was your relationship will only ever be as healthy as you are. You are the ceiling to the health of your relationships. If you are a five, when it, on a scale of one to ten when it comes to healthy, the healthiest relationship you will ever have is a five. You are the only thing that you can control in the relationship. Oftentimes when there's a problem in a relationship, when there's unhealth, who do we tend to point at that needs to fix something? The other person. If they would just, do you have any control over them? No. You can try to lead, you can try to model and be an example, but in the end, the only person you are responsible for and have any control over is yourself. And most of the times we go, well, man, there are three. If they would just get healthier, we'd have a healthier relationship. There are plenty of sevens in your life going, man, if they would just get healthier. And they're talking about you. You are the cap of the health of the relationship you have. And you are the only party in the relationship that you can control. And so do not fall for the lie that says, man, if they would just... They, they may be doing some things that are not healthy. And man, we, we can walk with them and talk with them, but we can't control that. Our relationships will only ever be as healthy as we are. So I'm not saying you're the cause of every problem in the unhealthy relationships you have, but the only hope you have to see them grow is for you to become healthier in the way you approach relationships. Does that make sense? Okay, so we talked about that last week. I'm not going to dive too deep into it today. I want to get into the second principle. Healthy relationships are about giving, not taking. In Philippians chapter 2, listen to this description of the kind of relationships that we're to have within the body of Christ, especially. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider, or excuse me, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. Don't come to these relationships, the words he used, with selfish ambition or vain conceit. What can I get from this relationship? But instead, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Look to the other person's interests even before your own. Approaching relationships through this lens that says, how can I give, not what can I take from this relationship? It works like this. We have been called into a new kingdom, into the kingdom of God, and there's a new approach to everything in our life when we enter that kingdom, especially relationships. Colossians 1.13, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. When we began to follow Jesus, we entered a new kingdom, we serve a new king, and this new king has new rules to live by. And these rules are not heavy weights, don't ever, and smacking our hands. It is, we are to love one another. The rule of the kingdom is love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. He says everything is summed up in that. In this new kingdom, we are to view every relationship we have through this lens of love. How can I love the people around me? 2 Corinthians 5.17, we've entered this new kingdom. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. The old ways of approaching relationships, the old ways of thinking about people have passed away, and new ways have come. New creations in a new kingdom 
called to live in relationship differently. Even when it comes to one of the things that that we know when we become uh, followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And what does the Holy Spirit give us? What do you give someone else? You put a little bow on it. Gifts. There it is. The Holy Spirit gives every follower of Jesus spiritual gifts. And how many of you want to know what your spiritual gifts are? Only half. Cool, 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 cool. We'll come back to that baby at some point in time again. The other half of you, you didn't raise your hand because you already have it nailed, right? Okay, cool. Here's the thing, and I, I know my own heart and in having conversations with other people, oftentimes the reason we want to know what our spiritual gifts are is because I think then I'll be complete. I want to know what my spiritual gifts are for me so that I can benefit from it because it feels good to use those. And so I even tend to view my spiritual gifts through this lens of what do I get when I use them. In finding out what they are, I'll feel more complete Let's look real quick at how the Apostle Paul talks about spiritual gifts. He refers to them in 1 Corinthians 12. He doesn't say the word spiritual gifts, but he says demonstrations of the Spirit. He's talking about the exact same thing. The Spirit is made known through us, through the gifts he gives us. And listen to this. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. Beneficial to who? To the other person. And then he goes through and he he lists them. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between, between Spirits. To another, different kinds of languages. To another, interpretation of languages. All of these are given for the benefit of everybody else. You were given spiritual gifts not to use to build yourself up. Actually, the rest of 1 Corinthians is Paul slapping their hands because they were going, I have this gift. Look at me. I'm in charge now. And it, it was they were using their gifts to puff up. And Paul's like, you've, you've misread it. Every gift you have is meant to make you a gift to your brothers and sisters. It's for their benefit that you have been given these gifts, hardwired to give, to serve one another. We are new creations, living out a new kingdom rule, and we've been given gifts to spend on each other's behalf. We have become gifts to one another. Healthy relationships are not about taking, but giving. Healthy relationships are reciprocal, not transactional. I think this is an important piece because I don't want anyone to take, okay, healthy relationships are about giving, not taking. Therefore, I should always just feel spent. And I'm always the one who has it. And so therefore, like, we we would start to hate relationships if it always just cost you, cost you, cost you, cost you, cost you, and you never got anything in return, right? That's not the kind of healthy relationship the scripture describes. But there's this reciprocity, big word. That means you and I both pouring into each other. We both win that comes out of it. But most of us approach relationships transactionally. It looks something like this. We give in a relationship as long as there's an expectation that our needs will get met as well. I will give to you. I will be there for you as long as you're going to give me what I need too. And there's these kind of stipulations. It's it's a transaction. I will give to you, but it's almost as a payment for what you're going to give back to me. 
And this is an unhealthy view. Or, or even I'm going to withhold in a relationship until you give me what I need. You're not meeting my needs, and so I'm going to shut this whole thing down. This is a transactional relationship. One of the clearest ways that this is seen oftentimes is in a marriage where somebody just goes, and I'm done. Until you do X, Y, and Z, you get nothing from me. Listen, I, there are some frustrating circumstances that happen in marriage. There's, there's some unhealth there, but it is never the proper way to go. Until you pay me, you don't get anything from me. These are transactional relationships. Praise the Lord, we don't have a God that dealt with us transactionally. Because you've been so good, I'll send my son to die on your behalf. That, this was not the lens that God viewed relationship with us through. There is a reciprocal nature that's meant to be had. Where I give to you and you give to me and we're both better for it. But here's the thing. Even if you're at a place of unhealth, if you're at a place of immaturity, my call is still to pour myself out on your behalf because that's what my God did for me. Ideally, you're doing the same thing back, and it's awesome. And if you've ever had those relationships, they're the kinds that like you can't wait to spend time with that person because you're both better because of it. But even if not, I am called to pour myself out on behalf of others, to give even if I don't get something back. And there is a place, we don't have time for the conversation now, for healthy boundaries and all of these things, of course. But where is my heart? Is my heart coming from a posture of giving in relationship? Or is my heart coming from what do I get out of this? We, we were told in Philippians 2.5 to have the same attitude as Jesus Christ in our relationships with one another. Look at how Jesus, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 20, talk to his disciples. They have just had this whole big argument that they didn't think he heard about who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to get the most out of their relationship with Jesus? Who's going to be on the top of the pile? They had this view of power and relationship that said the ones on top get the most. And Jesus comes to set the record straight. But Jesus called them, his disciples, to him. And he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Paul says, in your relationships together, have the same attitude as Jesus and Jesus' attitude, as clearly as he could put it, goes, I didn't come to see what I could get from you. Even though, who deserved it? Could Jesus have come and said, you, make me a sandwich. You, wash my feet. You, go do this for me. Would he, could, would he have the right to do that? Yeah. He, the Son of Man was kind of their cheat code for God in the flesh. He said, even God in the flesh didn't come to be served, though he could have. He had the right. He had the position and the authority but he said, I use that to become a slave, to serve everyone around me. And even to give his life as a ransom for many. Praise God that he did not have this transactional view towards us of until you guys get it together and can give me what I want, I'm just going to fold my arms and wait on you. But we have a God who moved toward us when we didn't deserve it, when we weren't healthy, and he poured himself out 
for us. All so that he could have a relationship with us. And now Paul says, now have the same attitude as Jesus in your relationships. Healthy relationships are about giving, not taking. So let's talk for a moment, church. Let's, let's learn together. What kinds of things do we naturally, even I would say most often unintentionally, try to take from others in relationship? I don't want to paint this picture that we're all sitting there diabolically, yes, and then I'll twist them and I'll manipulate them. To be honest, though, in my heart, there's times that I'm very aware of what I'm doing, and I choose to do it anyway. But most often in relationships, I'm not even fully aware, but I'm trying to take from people. What kinds of things are we trying to take in relationships? Validation. Validation. Okay. What does that look like? Okay, yeah, going and trying sometimes to, we, we know those certain people we can go to and we can say that certain thing that kind of twists and manipulates a little bit and all of a sudden they're telling us how great we are because that's what we need, okay? So validation, what else? Well, it's the same thing, but like, not a thing. Like, we're not okay with Sure. You know, they might not even be praising us or saying something. They just might be letting us be there or yeah. seeing things the way we see, even if it's you know, on social media or whatever. And then we were like, okay, well, then we're okay. Yeah, so there's, there's this idea, as long as other people agree with me, if we see these things the same way, as long as we vote the same way or stand to have the same stance on this issue or whatever it may be, you, you used a term there that I don't know if you meant to use. There's, I'm worthy. There's this worth to me as long as other people agree with me. And so we can come to relationships trying to, to take worth, value from other people. What else? Do none of you struggle with this? It's just me? Because I got like six of them. What do we try to take from each other? Again, not always in a devious way. In fact, rarely in a devious way. Go ahead. Okay. That it's a lot easier if I'm having a miserable day, those around me that aren't, I'd much rather them be miserable. Yeah. Join me in my misery. Sure. <laughs> misery loves company. Yeah. Well, because then I don't have to change the way I feel. I'm okay as I am as long as other people are kind of there with me. And yeah. What else? Uh-huh. Okay, how, how do others, how can we kind of take that sense of security in relationships? What does that look like, Miss Kitty? Um, you know, we want a feeling that, you know, from then, almost like a promise that they're going to be there, they're going to be there for me, they're not going to go away. I'm okay. Trustworthiness. Sure. Yeah, so this idea that as long as these people are there, I'm okay. They're kind of a security blanket for me. Yeah. And here's a very important thing. Some of the things that we're describing, I think we were designed to get from relationship. There should be a security in knowing that like my brothers and my sisters will always be there for me. 
my family will, will there, there should be a sense of security that comes from it. The problem is when it gets placed too high and all of a sudden it becomes this need that I'm, I'm taking from them. And we'll get into this in a little bit, but some of these are, were meant to be good things that we got from relationship. We've just twisted them some. Uh, two of the tools that we use to kind of help people grow in relationships here in this church. One of them is called the SDI. It's this asse assessment that we use. It's not important what the letters mean, uh, but we have a, a kind of an all-day training that we do called the Power of Great Relationships, and this is a tool that we use to do it. And in the SDI, uh, it says that there's basically three things that we try to get in relationship from people. Significance, acceptance, and security. We, need, we, we come into it trying to, to get people to puff us up. We're significant. We're somebody now. We, so we try to show them all of the things that we have done. And there's some humble brags. And there's some ways, even through prayer requests, to kind of be like, hey, I mean, because last week, I fed the hungry. And people go, oh, wow, he's so good. And we can try to manipulate to get significance from people. To, make, to kind of prop us up and make us feel like we're somebody now because it's a genuine need that we have in our hearts. But if we're not careful, we will take it from relationships. Acceptance, this idea that like everyone is okay with me. That as long as I'm accepted by people, I'm valuable. I'm okay. Or this idea of security. It can come through knowing that, okay, some of the, I've positioned some of these people where they're going to be here for me. They're only going to see the good stuff. They're never going to see the bad stuff because I can't afford for them to leave. It can be security through just trying to manipulate outcomes uh, by, by trying to hide all of the ugliness, whatever it may be. But they would say that we try to take one of or some combination of these three things in our relationships when we're in a, an immature place that actually part of growing in our maturity and in our health is recognizing that we don't need to take these things from other people. We'll talk about that here in a minute. They would say that these have come from wounds that we've received earlier in life, maybe in your childhood or something like that. Someone told you you were insignificant and that wound kind of stuck. And so now you're approaching relationships going, how do I let them know that I'm significant? How do I take significance from them? or you felt unaccepted as a child, or you felt uh, just insecure, and so now you're trying to take those things. Does that, does that make sense? Some head nods would help? Okay. Another tool that we use, uh, Soul Care, one that I, I quote a, a decent amount here, they approach it a different way, not just talking about wounds we receive, but they talk about lies that we believe. And they, they tie together so perfectly. There's this performance lie, a people-pleasing lie, and a control lie. They say we're always trying to gain value and identity. And we approach people when, we, when we're standing on these lies instead of the firm foundation of the truth, going, I need to perform so that you will love me. Unless I show how, how big I am, how much I can do, how funny I am, how, whatever it may be, unless I do those things, people won't love me. And if people don't love me, I'm not valuable. Does that make sense? Do you see how the lie works? People-pleasing. Unless everyone in the room is okay with me, unless everyone in the room likes me, I'm less valuable. What's the truth? Is everyone in this room going to like me? Going to agree with everything I say? Never. If there's a room with me and one other person and I still can't win the whole room, as long as that's the mark, I lose. So 
So we go through all of life, all of these relationships, knowing there's always somebody mad at me. There's always somebody that doesn't agree. I'm less valuable, and that's a lie. The other is this control lie. As long as I can control how things come out, as long as I can control how they respond and how they see me or whatever, I'm okay. But we never can. The old saying, control is an illusion. I can't change the way you think. I can't change the way you see me. But if I'm not careful, I will try to manipulate it and I'll try to only show my best side and hiding all of the flaws. In essence, I'm lying to you. I'm withholding myself from you and we can never grow in relationship. There's a, a, another pastor, Mountain Oklahoma, uh, Craig Groeschel, uh, who has this quote. He says, a lie, believed, a lie believed will affect your life as if it's true. It, the lies that you stand on and you believe, especially about yourself, will affect your life as if it's true. If you have that people-pleasing lie that you're standing on that goes, unless everybody likes me, I'm less valuable. When I look at your life, what I'll see is you're not valuable unless everyone likes you. Because that, is the, your, that is, becomes your entire approach toward life. A lie believed will affect your life as if it's true. As long as these wounds go unhealed and these lies go unchecked by truth, we will continue to be takers in relationship. We will be incapable of the healthy relationships that we were created for. Healthy relationships are about giving, not taking. Are you following me, church? Jesus came to take nothing from us, but to give us everything he had. He didn't come going, okay, once you've done X, Y, and Z, we can be in relationship. He came going, I didn't even meet you halfway. I came the whole way that all you have to do is turn. He didn't come to take a thing from us, but to give us everything. And he calls us to live and love likewise. He calls us to have these healthy relationships. Here's the, if you're like me, have you ever had the thought, though, when you think about Jesus and have the same attitude as Jesus and look at the way Jesus loved and he poured himself out, but then I'll have this thought that goes, but it was easier for Jesus. He was God. He didn't need anything. Have you ever had a thought like that? Well, sure, but it's Jesus. He didn't need anything. Of course, he wasn't trying to take anything from relationships with people. There was nothing he needed. And here is the truth straight from the heart of God. You need nothing either. There is nothing you need that God hasn't already given you. 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power, speaking of God, has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything you think you need to take from relationship with others has already been offered to you through Christ. Because of his death and resurrection on, in your place, you have already been offered everything you need. Significance. The God of the universe, the one who spoke the world into being, knows your name. Desires to have relationship with you. Tell me how you get more significant than that. There's no need to perform anymore. You don't need to be good enough to gain significance. He's already offered it to you. Acceptance. 
the God of the universe, the one who you made yourself his enemy, chose to be your friend. Chose to pay all the price for you so that you could become not only accepted, but children of the living God. Even when people aren't pleased with you, no one can take that from you. You are as accepted now as you will ever need to be. But do you believe it? Security. We think we have to, to control everything and understand how everything is going to come out. And the God of the universe, the one who sits enthroned, not nervous about anything, pandemic, recession, who cares? None of it makes him bat an eye. And he is on your side. He is for you. He has promised to provide your daily bread for you. How do you get more secure than that? The reason that we become takers in relationships is because we don't believe the truth that God has offered us instead. When we crossed from death to life, when we became new creations, when we entered into his kingdom, we were offered everything we would ever need. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He's already given it to you. Everything you could ever need for life and godliness has already been made available to you. Do you believe it? Will you stand on it? Or will you try to take it from others? Jesus understood and he applied this truth and it allowed him to pour himself out fully on others' behalf. Let's look at the starting point of Jesus' ministry. Before he had done a single thing, there was no miracles, he wasn't a teacher or a rabbi yet, but he had this encounter with the Father that I think sealed the deal, not because Jesus needed it, I don't think, but because he wanted us to see it. Matthew 3, 16 after Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened up for him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And there came a voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son, and I take delight in him. What had Jesus done up to this point? Nothing that we know of. Nothing that anybody wrote down. Again, there was no miracles. There was no teaching. There was no large crowds following him. He was unknown. He had done no form of public ministry that we know of. And at this point, the father said, this is my beloved son. I want everybody to know it. There was this spectacular display in front of hundreds of people where the heavens open up, the spirit descends, and a voice from heaven, imagine that, says, this is my son my beloved son, and I take delight in him. I want him to know it, and I want everyone to know it before he's done a single thing. Jesus was then able to serve and pour himself out because of this, knowing he never had to try to earn it. This, it's the same way with us. When we became children of the living God, when you crossed from death to life, you put your faith in Jesus and said, I will follow you, the Father spoke over you, this is my beloved son or daughter, and I take delight in them. Now that you have nothing left to earn, go pour yourself out on others. Go give in relationships that they can come to know the same truth you do. The enemy wins when we chase what we've already been given. And many of us, this is what we do. God has offered it to us, 
but we turn a blind eye and we try to chase it and get it some other way. The enemy wins when we chase what we've already been given. Whatever it is in your heart that you will naturally try to take from relationships, significance, acceptance, security, you've already been given everything you need. He has called you significant. He accepts you. He is your heavenly father who delights in giving you good gifts. You will never be more secure than you already are. Don't give in to the lies of the enemy and chase what you've already been given. Rob Reamer in Soul Care says this, if you only understood who you are in Christ, if you only believed what God believes about you, it would revolutionize the way that you live. It's not that you even need new information. He's already wrote it all down. It's been there for 2,000 years. But if we only believed it, it would revolutionize the way that we live, the way that we approach others in relationships, the way that we work, the way that we parent, the kind of husband and wife that we are, the kind of son or daughter that we are. It would be revolutionized if we realized I've already been given everything I could ever need. Now I'm free to just start pouring it out because he never runs out of it. There will always be more acceptance. There will always be more significance, more security in the Father. I can pour out almost recklessly, knowing that the Father will continue to give me everything I need for life and godliness. Does this make sense, church? So a question that I have for you now, we're not gonna take the time to talk about here. I want you to, maybe sometime this week or over the next couple weeks, with your small group, uh, maybe with your husband or wife or in some close relationships with a friend over coffee, whatever it may be, to ask this question. What does it look like for you to personally apply the truth of who he says you are to your life and to your relationships? It's going to look different for all of us. We all kind of have, whether it's different wounds or different lies that we believe. But what, what do you, like very practically, what are you going to do to help you stand on that truth? to apply the truth of who God says you are to your life and to your relationships. Sometimes we think, well, I just, okay, I'll memorize some verses. And that may be a starting point, but having some intellectual understanding is never going to do the trick. Most of us already have those verses memorized, and yet we still struggle with believing the same lies. We still struggle with the same patterns in relationship, and we can quote those verses like nothing but it hasn't taken root in our heart yet. How do we move beyond just some intellectual understanding and actually begin to apply the truth? Until it becomes firmly embedded in your soul, you will continue to be a taker in relationships. Until that wound actually receives healing from the Father, you will continue to try to take from other people. We will continue to default to taking in our relationships until we apply this truth. We will never experience the healthy relationships that we were made for. Our families, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our churches, and our world will be a worse place for it. May we become the people that God has already told us that we are so that we can pour ourselves out on everyone that he has put around us for their good then we will begin to experience healthy relationships and we will see people be drawn to the king because of the way that we approach relationship with them. And isn't this what our hearts desire? It only comes as we begin to apply his truth 
to those lies. Apply his healing to those wounds. And I can't stand up here right now and tell you, here's A, B, and C, how to do it. It's going to be different for all of us. But will you seek out some others? Will you have these conversations? Find people to process this with. Because until this begins to happen, you've got a ceiling on the health of all of your relationships. And you cannot grow past it. So would you join me in praying now as we close? Lord Jesus, I want to believe the truth of what you say about me. I've read the verses. I've put them on sticky notes and put them places. I've memorized them. But Lord, there's something that stops them from taking root. May we as your people have experiences with you, our Heavenly Father, that drives that truth deep into our souls, God. May we have uh, experiences with other brothers and sisters where we speak life over one another, where we encourage one another in a way where it takes root in our hearts. May we challenge God where we see lies and wounds just being lived unchecked. May we love enough to challenge, to call to account. Because until these things get healed, until these lies get banished by truth, we will continue to be takers to manipulate relationships, God, to use people, which is not the desire of our heart. But until these wounds get healed, that's all we have left to us. So God, would you be very practical with us? Would you show us next steps? Speak very clearly to us, God, and, and may, we, may we put faith on display as we begin to live out of the truth you've given us as we begin to be healed and whole through the power of the gospel, may a watching, waiting world see the thing they've been longing for being lived out in us. And may they be drawn in because of it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.